dancing today. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Uh, let's pray. We're going to open the word of God and we want God to speak into our lives. So let's have him do that. Father, your word alone is good and true and beautiful and lovely. And so that's why we approach it and we desire it, uh, that you would fully pour out your spirit over us as we examine your word today. We thank you for that. In Jesus' good name, amen. We're going to look into Luke chapter 18. We're talking about the parables. Pastor Doug is uh, taking, as he does in the summer, a few weeks of study break where he's preparing all the sermons for next year and preparing us for a church. As we've gone through the kingdom of God this year, uh, he's seeking the Lord for where we'll go again next year as well as a church. In Luke chapter 18, we uh, see a parable, and we've been talking about the moral of the story. One of the struggles with parables is, is that they have second and third and fourth layer meanings. And there's a reason for that is that God actually wants us to press in, not just do a little gloss over. God wants us to press into his heart to see it. I, I love this parable, but I think it's probably one of the most misunderstand parables. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And it's going to talk about prayer. So we have a family service this morning. So a lot of our families are up at the camp out this weekend. But for kids that are in here, we're going to have a few buzzwords along the way to keep them involved and interested in what we're doing in the sermon. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about this widow who went before God. And we have a wrong idea around this. And I want to just hit it right off the top. We think that it's about nagging God. It's not about nagging God. It's not about nagging him until we finally get what we want. That is the first blanch look at it, but it is so much more than that. Because the just God is different than the unjust judge that we'll look at here in the story. But to set it up, we ought to go back in the book for just a minute and let's see a greater picture of who God is. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, follow along with me. Let's look at the verses here. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, one of my favorite sets of verses. And Ecclesiastes, again, is a fabulous book because it's so real and practical and beautiful gift of God. For everything, there is a season. We're going to talk today about seasons rather than seconds, okay? We live in a world that measures everything by seconds rather than seasons. We're going to talk about seasons. God says, for everything, there is a season. There's a time for every activity under heaven. Verse 2 it says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and then there's a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to turn away. It doesn't take too much of a reading to recognize that God sets these bumpers, these boundaries, and he says in this, there's a time for everything in the world. And what happens is a lot of times we get so locked into what we think should happen in that moment that we forget that there's this great big broad spectrum called life, and there are lots of things going on in the world around us that we can't, ready for it, and this can be an awful word, I'm going to cuss in church, we can't control God. We think we can. 
Isn't it weird? And we even have learned sometimes to believe that prayer is a way to nag God to get him to do what he want, we want him to do. And this parable is going to teach us God doesn't really work that way. Continue on with me. There's a time to search and a time to quit searching. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. There's a time to be quiet and a time to speak, of which my wife reminds me often when we get to 28 minutes in the sermon. She gives me the little chin. You guys have seen the the cartoon where the pastor's wife is sitting on the front row. She's got a little black and white TV with the game on. She's got her knitting going on right here. And she's got a cup of coffee. And the, and the caption under it is, she's heard this one before, right? <laughs> there's a time to be quiet and a time to speak. There's a time. This, there's some of them in here that are hard. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. And then it says this, what, what do people really get for all their hard work? In other words, he asks this summarizing question in there, almost sort of like, with all that's going on, what, like, what's the net outcome? What's the net effect? What's the net benefit to your life? And then he says this, I've seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Now, this is an interesting text, and this is one that in modern Christianity doesn't play too well, and it probably doesn't preach very often, right? Because we don't love that idea that, that, no, God loves me, and he cares about me, and he gives me $50 bills, and, you know, I get bunny rabbits on certain times, and I get all the stuff I want for Christmas and all like that. And then you read the scripture, and he says, I have seen the burden God has placed on, all, on us all. And that, and that burden is this notion of we still have to live life. We can walk with each other that extra mile, but I can't walk in your shoes for you. There's a burden that comes along with life. And part of what goes on with the persistent widow scenario is, is it's almost sort of like this. Life is burdensome. If we nag law, God enough, he'll make it better. And that's not the character of God. That's not the nature of God. We need to re-examine this thought because that's kind of how we do things in this broken world where there's a time for war and a time for peace. We just keep pushing and we just keep driving and we keep putting elbows out. And God comes along and says, no, no, there's a different way to do life. Because honestly, those pushing, nagging, driving elbows don't generally accomplish the things that our soul needs. So let's finish out Ecclesiastes. Says, yet, and it says yet, and there's a yet there, and that yet is, is, is that, wait, wait, just remember, but yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Today, this parable has a lot to do with this idea, and that is, is that we build our faith and our lives over the course of seasons, not just in seconds. How many of you are growing a garden this year? Raise your hand. How many of you think you're growing a garden, but it's not really growing very well for you this year. Raise your hand. Everybody's going to raise your hand, right? It's like, ugh. Okay, give you a little line. Just remember about the sermon. It takes 30 years to grow an oak. It takes three months to grow squash. We are not called in Isaiah to be squash of righteousness. We are called to be oaks of righteousness. God is working in a season in our lives, and we have to take that look. Parents, I'm going to hit on you for just a second. You have been loaned a bit of God's place in humanity and in the world by being parents because he comes along and looks at you and says, it's seasons, not seconds, isn't it? But your kid wants what? Seconds. But you know it's a season. We had, we had a statement in our family, and that is this. You go out for something, whether it's choir or whether it's band or whether it's an athletic thing or whatever, you are committing to the season not to the start. You're committing to the season, not to the start. 
Because everything that you and I have ever done in our lives has always come with serious moments where we went, I'm, I quit, I'm out, I'm done, I'm finished, right? It's always, remember, here's a good line for you. It's always easier to get into something than it is to get out of something. And it's always easier to get out of something than to stick to something. Stick toing something is a value. It is a quality. And along the way, this is why, now, now, now here's where we really lock into the parable. There is injustice that happens along the way. Again, parent, for just a moment, one of the hardest things of a parent is to watch our child be served a full plate of injustice. I have a sneaking suspicion that the text doesn't tell us, but I think that part of why this lady is struggling is because she's struggling to see this greater picture, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the heart of the human, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. The scripture is telling you, it's the big picture. Don't get lost in the seconds. Remember the seasons. Okay, so let's look, at, let's look at the text. It's here on the board for you. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 in the New International Version says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. One of the purposes of the parables is that you would pray and not give up. One of the reasons why God wants you to dig in or lean in or sit at the edge of your seat is he wants to get your attention to say, hey, this is a building block of your very life. And he tells you at the beginning of the parable, here's the goal, that you would pray, learn to pray, that is seek God's face, you'll keep going to him, not nagging him. Remember, the parable falls short, the parable brings forward an uh, an idea or a moral of the story, but it doesn't give a modality of the story. We're not called to be naggers of God, we're called to be persistent in our pursuit of God. See the difference? There's a real sharp line there that we want to know the difference of. Prayer is a faith-building exercise. Prayer is a deep act of faith. Prayer is one of these things uh, that leads us to faith. And without faith, the Bible is very clear and very serious about this, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look at what Hebrews chapter 11 says about building faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. We are confident of what we hope for and assured of it what we don't see because our focus is on God and His outcome not just what we want. Look at what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says uh, that this is what the ancients were commended for. All those people we read in the Bible, that big chunk of the Bible between Genesis chapter 2 and all the way to Revelation chapter 19, that big chunk of the Bible, right, is the messy working out of all of that in eternity, in history, where people sought to face God. Why do we have all the stories of David and why we have the stories of his successes and his failures? Because we saw David go through the seasons of life, not just the seconds of life. Teaching us to pray is important. And with the widow, one of the things that we're commended to do is to look into her persistence to seek God. Verse 5 says this in in Hebrews, though, that you ought to see. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. How did he please God? Did he please God by being this righteous on his own, did all these great works? No, he had faith so close with God that God simply moved the veil between this life and the next life and moved him on. It's a beautiful picture. Then look at verse 6. Again, the goal of the parable is that you would pray and not give up. And without faith, not giving up, 
it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This widow is going before the judge and she is being earnest and persistent. Take that as a virtue from this, from this parable. Read along with me in verse two. He said, in a certain town, now Jesus with the parable, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And I think this is very important because the parables, Jesus always drew people in. He basically said, we had a government official, didn't care about her life at all right? And we read in verse six, he was unjust, right? I think it's one of those things that we can all kind of look around and say, there are a lot of people who are in Washington, D.C. who do not care about Mike Dunbar in your life. They don't care about you. They don't care about anything you hope for. They don't care anything about you work for. They don't care anything about you dream for. They care about how much money you send back to Washington. Is that fair enough? So Jesus used a parable to be able to look at everyone in your lives and say, I'm going to give you a guy you can all identify with. Right? So everybody goes, oh, okay, I know a guy like that. Right? So read along, continue with me in the story. Uh, the judge is seen as bad, but we need to see something very different, and that is, is that our judge, our God, is not bad. Our God is just. You should hear this. This parable is not about the character of God. It's about the nature of God. You go, okay, wait a minute. What, what, what does that mean? The character of God is just. This is not about whether he's moral or immoral. He's saying this guy was immoral. But he's saying, this is about you having a persistence with me because I take my own time. 1999, my dad was 62 years old and he passed away. He died. He had been in, in Vietnam. He had Agent Orange. Uh, he had all kinds of things wrong with his lungs, kinds of difficulty like that. And at 60 years, 62 years old, he died. I was going to the hospital to be the son, the responsible one. My responsibility was we were going to look at the doctors and say, you can take him off the ventilator. He's gone to be with God. He's gone to be with God. And I had, a, I mean, you guys have heard some of my stories. I had a rough upbringing. I mean, it, it was rough. It was rough, okay? Um, and, and in that scenario, though, my, God, my dad had come to Christ in his life. And my, my mom and dad had been divorced my dad had moved in with different women and come back and all like this. And my mom forgave him. And I remember just going, how, how could you do that? I'm like, in the second, not the season, in the second, I was like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? And in the season, my mom said, God told me that if I will stay with him, he will come to Christ and he will finish out right. My dad came to Christ. And there on November 4th, 1999, my dad passed away at the VA hospital in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I remember, I can still feel it on my lips, the day I kissed his forehead that morning down there in the morgue, I kissed his forehead. And I said, I send you on, save me a seat. I send you on, save me a seat. And you know why I stopped doing that day? I stopped wearing a watch. I like watches. Watches are great. I see a bunch of you guys with watches. They're really great. But the reason why I dropped that watch is that I just said, this is not how it actually really works. It's not seconds, it's seasons. And maybe I should have something on my arm that you know, gives me calendars, you know, like with spring, summer, winter, fall. Maybe like from 2011 to 2014 or something that helps me understand that seasons are how God works, not seconds is how God works. Let's look at the verses, continue on. Um, verse two and three there, in a certain town. Uh, so, and then there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, this is a very important thing is that from the beginning of time, there has been adversarial relationships. Okay. Follow back with me. Where do those adversarial relationships begin? 
Adam deceived Eve, or see, Eve deceived Adam, Cain killed Abel, and the circus started. Fair enough? I mean, from the beginning of time. It's been just a malady. It's been difficulties. There's been struggles. There have been sibling rivalries. There have been times when we were misunderstood, where we were not liked for what we wore. Can you imagine Eve looking at the first fig leaf and go, come on, please, really? That one doesn't, it clashes with the jungle. You need to get one of these, right? I mean, the first argument, right? I don't know. Was anybody there for the first argument? I wasn't there for the first argument, but I have to imagine that it was always one of those things where it was sort of like, are you really going to wear that? I mean, can you, I mean, I mean, just walk in it with me for a second, right? I mean, we are people, right? We are constantly walking by, by people going, I'd never be caught dead wearing that, right? I mean, that had to happen right after they left the garden, right? We always have struggle. Here is a great misunderstanding that maybe you might want to let that parable sink into you. God in your life does not equal no more trouble or difficulty at, at all anymore, This woman had an adversary. It says that she had an adversary. She had someone on the other side of the transaction that had done her a wrong. They had done her a wrong. They had made this scenario so difficult for her that she was just going to go plead and plead and plead. And some of you have felt that. You know, the Kosovo War happened in the 1990s. And between the Serbs and the Kosovoans, they talk about what happened back in 66. They're talking about 1866. Okay. The easiest thing to carry is a grudge. The hardest thing to put down or to put out is forgiveness. The hard things come from our God. The easy things come from our world. The easiest thing for us to do is to have a million reasons for why we all just want to get up and leave and never ever come back to a church, never ever come back to a marriage, never ever come back to a parenting, never ever come back to a job, never ever come back to anything. There's millions of reasons for that. There's only one reason for why we stay in our marriages and why we stay in our faith and why we stay active and engaged is because God is with us and he called us to that task and he said, I will see you through this season. I'll see you through this season. She needed to hear that. Let's look at verse four for a second. In verse four, for some time he refused. The word in there is chronos, okay, in the Greek. And the word for Greek, uh, chronos is a chronograph, right? You guys have seen watches, really fancy watches called a chronograph, right? Why is it? Because it's graphing out time. And that Greek word time there has that. And it says here, for some time he refused. And now this was an unjust judge. God is a just God. So let's be careful. We don't want to make God this judge. Okay. So he's still teaching the parable, but for some time he did that. And the kingdom of God, we said, is God manages our lives in seasons, not in seconds, because he's actually working on us in that season. He's working on us. Could it be that the real depth of the whole parable is is that God was using an unjust situation to tap the widow on the shoulder and say, can we talk about how you've held this grudge for 47 years? Can we talk about how in your heart you've you've carved out a space where you follow me, but in your heart of hearts, you allow yourself to carry that grievance because they did that. That's how God works. Do you see that? God, God meddles, right? I mean, God meddles in our lives. One of the reasons why it's so hard to read the Bible is we're like, oh, it's not, we're not reading the Bible. The Bible's reading us, right? The Bible's reading us. Looking at you going, hey, Harv, what are yours? I, I think there's another line in here that's important. 
And that is, is, and I'm playing with words for just a second, you know, and the question is, is that we always, you know, this lady, she wanted what? She wanted justice. She wanted justice. But I'm going to play with you for a minute. I think sometimes we just want just us. Because we know we're right, and we know you're wrong. We know that I did it right. Well, who would ever impugn my motives? I was always right, right? And those of you who are parents, you know that moment, right? Where there's a little bit of time in the middle, and you go, I really want to spank them all. Because I know I'll get the right one eventually. But we, we want justice in seconds because we know right now this is what we want and this is how it ought to happen. Fair? Am I with you? I mean, you with me, right? We want just us, our opinion. We want just our friends to be in the right. We want just our position to be held correct, correctly. But God is a God. Here's a part of the parable. God is a God who has to bring out justice, and he's got 8 billion children. Can you imagine? My mom used to always mutter, we grew up in a bilingual home, German, English, and whatever those two are together. And people say, well, did, you, did your mom speak German in the house? And I said, well, when she was angry, because she could think faster in German, right? But we never spoke German as a part of that. I mean, I still speak German, but, but she would always mutter under her breath, mentions kinda, mentions kinda. Anybody know what mentions kinda means? I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> Men and kids. Is that not the best line? I mean, the German is so good too, right? You can almost hear it like, mansions, kinder. Mansions, kinder. My goodness. God uses time to bring forward justice, not just for us. And that's important. Because when you're wrongly accused, don't you want the judge to take the time to go into the file, to look at the evidence, and to seek out for what it really is the situation? Proverbs 18 says, every story sounds good till there's a cross-examination of the other person. See, wisdom is how we begin to apply this. And I think part of what God's trying to say is, is be wise. Justice for all, right? Listen to, listen to this. Maybe you've heard this somewhere. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for me. Justice for all. E pluribus unum. Stamped up there on all those big buildings. What does it mean? Out from one, many. Or from many, one. It's a beautiful play back and forth on the words. All of us together and all of us one matter. See, everybody matters and we all work together. There's that concept. We start out with that. It's hard to hold on to. It's very hard to hold on to. We think we know what's right and we want what is right. Psalm 37 helps us. Maybe this will help you along the way a little bit. Maybe you're feeling an injustice right now. Maybe you're in a dispute. But Psalm 37 says this, be still in the presence of the Lord. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Not in the presence of my enemies, but in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Do not worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Then it, then it continues on, verse 8. Stop being angry. You see, when we start to worry, one of the things is we give ourselves past chips. You imagine that the widow in the story somewhere along the way, instead of praying, started what? Grinding her teeth and wondering, and are you kidding me? And I cannot imagine, and oh my goodness. And 
I mean, we're human, right? I get the feeling that maybe there was a little bit of all that. And what we do is when we don't feel like justice is served in the seconds that matter to us, we give ourselves a pass chip to be angry. And the problem with anger is is that it's incredibly infectious and it is incredibly destructive because what happens is while we're waiting for God to act, we actually out ourselves for not truly being patient and persistent to seek God's will and to seek God's answer. We just want what we want. Turn away from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to greater harm, right? There's a text in in the conflict resolution scriptures of the Bible, Ephesians chapter four. Here's what God does. Ready? Okay. Fast track through Ephesians. Chapter one, God predestined and set forward that Christ would be the Lord Lord and leader of all. Chapter two, you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. So God will reach out to you in your sinful place. Chapter three, Paul prays for you to have strength and fortitude in your inner woman or your inner man. Then he goes to chapter four and he says, there's one Lord, one faith, one hope, one calling, one baptism, one God who is in all and above all and through all. And then he says, okay, I'm gonna give apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers for the purpose of what? Building up of the body of Christ. And the first teaching that God does after he sets up the whole big story of Jesus came and did all these sorts of things and we started the churches. Okay, let me give you 24 verses on conflict resolution. Seriously, that's what's in there. Is the next 20, starting with verse 14, it's all about conflict resolution all the way to the end. And he says this, if you don't, here's what will happen, is that your life, and he says at the end, he says, let bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, clamor, and malice be put away from you. You know what those are? In reverse order, they're how we get to where we're bitter. Bitterness starts with a malice, the Latin word mal, something bad. Then what happens is is that when something's bad, we go from malice to slander. We need to tell everybody else about how bad you are, okay? Then after we tell everybody else about how bad you are is we create clamor. You know what clamor is? Is it agitates the situation to where I show you that you're that person that everybody should know who you really are. And then when that doesn't work, we have rage, which is, if I could say it like this, it's murder too. I just killed you in the spur of the moment. And then we have wrath, which is I planned out your destruction. And then the sixth one is we have bitterness. The Bible is so practical in how it teaches us to not be that. Here he says, stop being angry. Stop being rage-filled. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to worse part of the parable of the persistent widow is is don't lose your focus on god when things aren't always the way you want them to be we keep going verse eight uh, uh, one more verse verse nine there i think for the wicked will be destroyed but those who trust in the lord will possess the land it'll figure out it's a line i use all the time in my family it'll figure out i don't know how but it'll figure out it will figure out let's keep going on in the story we get to uh we get to the next uh, set of verses there. Um, I, I'm gonna, oh, sorry, let me say this one thing about Romans chapter 5 for a second. Look at Romans chapter 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance. Okay? Look at verse 4. And endurance develops strength of character, and, st- and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Hold on to verse 4 for a moment. These are traits that the persistent widow needed to have. She was enduring and persistent. She needed to remain and retain a strength of character or develop that character. And then character strengthens our confident hope. This right here is, uh, if you will, a little one chunk segment of scripture that says, God's got a greater goal in your life 
It's bigger than the seconds. Hold on for the seasons. Because God is developing these things in us. Question for you. Where else but suffering or injustice or delayed justice do we learn these kinds of things? Nowhere else, right? It's like you walk in, you know, down here to Maverick and say, okay, I'd like, you know, a candy bar filled with endurance and I'd like a soda pop filled with character. And then after that, uh, you have any popcorn with hope. You know, you just don't buy that stuff. We develop that stuff. Strength is built when we are pushing against something, right? I have a saying in our family, right? You find out what's in a bug when it hits the windshield. Unfortunately, it's too late for the bug. <laughs> you find out what's in you when you have injustice, when it's delayed justice, when we suffer, and when it's difficulty. See, the real issue that's going on behind this parable is God saying, you are who you are. I'd love to bring you to better. You are who you are. I'm here to develop that spiritual muscle with you. I'm here to put a little bit of muscle on the bone. I'm here to help you actually face a life. And by the way, that life is filled with lots of injustice. Look at verse 6 and 7 of chapter Luke. We're closing to the end here on this parable. It says, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Verse 7. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? See, remember I said this is not about the character of God. The character of God is he is a God of justice. I've read the end of the book. I don't know if you haven't, but if you haven't, read the end of the book. God is a God of justice, right? It's back there at the last four chapters. White throne judgment of God. God says, we're going to bring it all out and we're going to show the motives. We're going to show all those kinds of things. It should bring to every one of us Christians this thought of God will show my heart in those moments. In the meantime, I will allow him to defend my character. Give you a line. Okay, we tend to work on our reputation rather than our character. God calls us to work on our character and let him take care of our reputation. See the difference? There's no PR in the kingdom. Okay, and God will bring about justice for his chosen ones who will cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? No. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and it will come quickly. There is a place where God works in seconds, milliseconds, split seconds, twinkling of an eye seconds. When the game's over, we'll all know right away. We'll all know right away. But he calls on us to be patient. He calls on us to be persistent. Down at the, uh, the, the here, in our, we're going to do our discussion questions as we do at the end. I want you to see six seasons of life and I want you to ask yourself, maybe, where, where are you in these six seasons of life? I, I think we have a slide for it. Um, there's, there's a lady, uh, I put the footnotes out there. If you want them, you, you, you can come find them on the church website. But there's a wonderful article that a lady wrote. Uh, her name is Courtney, and I can find it for you. Don't have it in front of me right now. But she outlines this. And I think it's a beautiful thing. There's the dry season where you just press into the heart of God, and it just feels like dry toast and it's 110 degrees and the heat is baffling across the highway of your life and you just make one more step. There's dry season. There's the waiting season. Really? I mean, God, you said be here at nine o'clock, right? I mean, you've got to love a doctor's office for the fact they just call it a waiting room, right? I mean, God bless them. They call it a waiting room. I mean, you gotta, I mean, that's honesty, right? I mean, it's like you're going to wait for a while, right? I mean, my plumber doesn't have something called the waiting period. He says, oh, I'll be here, and you know, maybe he doesn't all show up, right? But there's the waiting season. Sometimes when God just says, you know what? You're going to wait. You're going to wait. 
You guys ever been, you know, somewhere? I mean, Brenna, she was serving down in Southern California this weekend, our third child, and she was working at the baseball camp with her brother that he runs, and they were doing ministry and caring like that, and then they got a date where they just went to Disneyland. And I said, Jerry, I said, what was your favorite part? She said, I love the fireworks at the end. I said, why is that? Because everybody went and watched them, and we went in the quick lines. We didn't have to wait. We went, now that's a clever kid, right? She's like, I saw fireworks up here in Idaho. It's 10 times better than anything you see in, in California. This was awesome. We went to the quick lines. Are you in the waiting room? Maybe you are. Hold on to God. Hold on to God. That watch doesn't usually work very well there. If you're in the grinding season where you're just grinding it out, those parental seasons, this, I associate this with parenting, right? There are those seasons you are just doing the right thing over and over and over again, and they look at you. I remember saying to my son one time, I said, son, don't ever buy a lottery ticket. Of the 8 billion people in the world, you scored the two stupidest parents that are out there on the whole planet. You're the unluckiest kid the world has ever known, Right? How is it that our kids get the worst parents and all of their friends get the best parents? That's the grinding season, right? That's the grinding season. Then there's the tests and trials. Your character gets tested. Your patience get tested. Your relationships get tested. Your heart gets tested. Your motives get tested. Your ideas get tested. You just want to end it in the, in the tests and trials. Then there's a the spiritual warfare season where the devil just seems to know your address. He bought the house across the street. And he's not going anywhere. He doesn't have a mortgage on it. Devil doesn't have a mortgage on those kinds of places in our lives. He just sets up shop across and says, oh, watch this, watch this, right? The demons get together and go, oh, today's the day he's going he's gonna, to you know, put ice on the, on the driveway. And he doesn't know it. And then the last one is the happy season. There are just times when it just feels like the wind is at your back. Life is good and it just couldn't get better. Isn't God your God in all of that? Lesson of the persistent widow. We don't have to nag him, but he is teaching us to be persistent, to be patient, to put some spiritual muscle on us, and to move from seconds to seasons. Because seasons are really, really what count. There's great at-bats that happen in a season, but what a parent sees is, is over the course of that season, he got better. And he didn't just get better, he built a few more tools. And he didn't just build a few more tools, he actually distanced himself to actually become better and better and better. God's that same God. He's a father who looks in our life, and he does those kinds of things. The parable of the persistent widow. May we seek him as well. Amen? We'll stand and we'll pray together. Father, thank you. We don't thank you for the setbacks. We thank you that you are with us in the setbacks. We thank you that you are with us, that you look after us, that you care for us, that you are good and great and kind. Father, wherever we all are walking in our faith today, be that God and receive our praise and help us to be reminded that we can walk in you. In Jesus' name, church said, amen. See you again next week.